Welcome to the Renegade Yogi podcast experience. Join myself, Sorananda, and this episode's guest as we explore yoga in the modern world. Prepare yourself as we will experience yoga like never before. experience. I'm here today with Mira Taylor. Um, she specializes in something called integrative therapy, um, where it goes into the realm of spiritual and wellness. Um, and uh, I'd like to obviously have her describe what that is, and then we can go into a more in-depth conversation about what it means to integrate spirituality into your life and how to handle spiritual work on a day-to-day basis that is comfortable for you and also challenges you to look at aspects of yourself that you may have been hiding from. So welcome, Mira, and I'm looking forward to having this conversation. And yeah, maybe if you can uh, further explain to people what it is you do and how it works um, as a modality. Sure. So first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you on the show and to share me um, and what I do with your audience. I hope that it is something that becomes beneficial for folks. Um, So I'll kind of start with why I do what I do, which is that I was someone who, uh, you know, did the nine to five grind and felt pretty purposeless and of course ended up in uh, traditional therapy. But I was someone who you know, was raised with a strong scientific and spiritual uh, background. We were, I grew up, you know, kind of having open source spirituality, uh, if you will. And as I was in therapy, I noticed that it felt really clinical and that there wasn't anything that gave me like spiritual nourishment or enrichment from it, that it felt, uh, you know, very devoid of it, that it was just trying to fix me. And so I sort of left it. I'm thankful for it because it helped me, you know, realize things about the job I was in being, uh, you know, very incongruent to my belief systems and everything I wanted to do and sort of took it and ran with it and was like, well, I've been in both of these two systems now that feel like they don't work. So now I get to have this lovely purpose for being that is evolving those systems. Um, which is basically allowing for spirituality and daily life in a way that feels approachable for people, beneficial and constructive, um, making it something that doesn't feel uh, difficult or like work, that it's a lot simpler of a practice than people give it credit for, uh, that things like ritual can be as simple as spending five minutes in the morning saying kind things to yourself and that that is still a form of spirituality that uh, produces really wonderful results for your mental health as well, your overall wellness, but that wellness as a whole, therapy as a whole, should be this practice that approaches 
mind, body, and spirit as a whole entity and takes care of all of them and understands that they should be existing in, in harmony and convergence with one another, understanding of one another versus just the mind thinking that it has to fix everything. Um, so I use a, a large range of, of, you know, healing services. Basically, each one is interjected into each session, depending on the person that is in the session and sort of the intuitive and organic process between me uh, and that individual, the rapport that we've built, but that the goal is always to establish some goals for self with, the, with these clients help them define a purpose for self. Uh, turns out a sense of purposelessness is actually the number one leading cause of depression in adults mm -hmm. and uh, help them find a way to live a spiritually enriching life. That yes, spirituality can be uh, work, but that realistically it's about having spiritual enrichment in your daily life that helps it feel less like work and more like something um, that's just natural for you to do that helps you exist in the world in a way that feels easy uh, instead of hard. Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I think that's the kind of typical drawback from the initial um, interest in spirituality is the seemingly like daunting task of a lifetime of continual self-work, right? Like continual shadow work, um, you know, whatever labels that there are, depending on uh, what kind of school of, of spirituality you're entering. And that's a similar thing that I like to tell people as well. Like um, for me being a yoga teacher, when they see someone at the peak of their practice, who is just a professional in what they do, there's this hesitancy to want to get in because of this kind of daunting task ahead of them. Well, I'm not flexible. I'm, I can't sit still. My mind is super crazy and hectic and I'm super fidgety. And so I, what I like to remind people is the, the benefits that come out of it are the type of change that you're wanting to see in your life and when you adopt a practice that's realistic for the timeline of your day and your week and your month that the primary focus is simply how that ritual or how that practice is helping you feel um, in that moment, right? So if it's waking up in the morning and having an affirmation um, to yourself where you can say simple things like, I'm healthy, I'm strong, I am abundant, and you have a certain type of music that you listen to at that time, and say, you know, if uh, the client's working with you, they have a kind of string of um, practices that they're adopting and they're utilizing that how you put that into your life is how is what's going to determine the pace and the quickness of the kind of awakening so to speak that you're looking for and so i what i hear a lot and just like generally if it's like through social media or the world is that like um, the world is becoming a darker pr place or, um, you know, it's, it's evident that the world seems to be going in a direction 
Um, I don't, I don't particularly agree with that, but do you find, um, that that mentality shows up in the people that you work with, that there's this kind of like depression of, um, thinking that it's like futile to try to change things or that, um, seeing, you know, like the onset of possible war or like the pandemic and stuff like that, that, you know, people are coming out of this place where they seem even taking on a spiritual practice is kind of futile, right? Yeah. So a lot of this actually uh, converges with a concept of purposelessness, which is that with purposelessness over time, usually comes a sense of hopelessness. Um, you know, that if you don't have a purpose, what's the purpose of any of it? We, we are microcosms of the greater macro. And so the more each individual within the collective gets that sense of a lack of self, a lack of spiritual identity, a lack of necessity for being, the more that that becomes the truth for the collective. Um, interestingly enough, this is a lot of why I work with people on neurolinguistics, the way that they use language. Uh, language is this really beautiful gift that we've been given. Like I, not many people have thought about uh, how special the biology is in the human form for us to be able, not only to be able to speak, but to be able to hear and perceive and enjoy language. And so many of us use it in this super self-effacing, self-degradatory way, even in our own mind. So I work a lot with people on just reshaping the way they use even words with themselves. Um, for example, if you're looking at something like starting yoga or spirituality, and you're looking at it as uh, you know, the song that never ends this, this journey where I'm, you know, what's the point? I'm just, I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to have to stop fixing myself instead of looking at it from the perspective of how cool is it that I was put in this vessel with consciousness as a co-creative being that gets to constantly evolve. I am never limited in my evolutionary process. Like just getting people to even change the way they use language to change their perception to change the way they're viewing the process as a whole, as something that isn't based in futility, but in expansion, uh, you know, that there, we literally get to evolve for eternity. Like what a cool model that is. Um, it's something that I really focus on with people, but I also focus on them with just basic mindfulness practices to establish a sense of self-awareness about what's going on up here. Uh, you know, even as simply as when you look in the mirror. So most people have a lot of like really nasty stuff that's doing this all day in their mind, kind of subconsciously. And we're so busy. We're so obsessed with productivity and, and being conscious and logical and rational and in the 3D that we let it continue. We just let those thoughts like kind of go on a loop, even if they are limiting us or making us uh, feel like something is out of reach for us. So one of the main like simple first time practices I give for everyone which is still a form of uh, spirituality and ritual is every time, like going forward, every time you look in the mirror, take a deep breath, pause, look at yourself in, like in the eyes, in the mirror and listen to the thoughts that start happening up here. Listen to the words, the sentences that start forming that are describing you. For most people, the first thing that comes to mind or the string of thoughts that come to mind are all about the things that aren't good enough yet that they have to change about themselves, that 
other people are going to judge that it makes them not good enough, basically. Whereas by working on that mindset, you can get to a place, you can sort of reprogram yourself, if you will, to a point where the subconscious condition naturally and organically says things like, I love you, you got this. Or what do we get to do for ourselves today that we deserve to do to reach for our dreams and goals? Um, you know, how can we do something that's enriching for us today? What would you like to experience that will give you a sense of wonder today? Like a lot of this is also about learning how to use language in a way where you're not constantly looking for the answer, but figuring out how to ask yourself the right questions that will give you inner guidance that is far more beneficial than like our obsession with the affirmation of getting a, a yes, that's right from someone outside of us uh, within our spiritual practices. So, you know, even with yoga, but all forms of spirituality, people tend to look at it as something like, okay, I got to pick one school of practice or one religion or one faith or one, you know, I got to pick some rule book as to how I'm going to abide by this practice instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to engage with this intuitively because I feel drawn to it. And I'm going to take what feels right and good to me and build my own personal sense of spiritual connection to this, this faith, this religion, this spiritual practice, whatever it may be, and make space for myself in it. Let it be something that is an internal process for me where I don't feel like I have to do it a certain way or show up in a certain way or follow certain rules for it to be something that's effective for me. Yeah, and I think because there's this innate conditioning from when we're children to adults of following some kind of authority um, that we almost can't help but want other people to tell us what to do, you know? And, and I think that's um, the, the challenge with something like yoga or a spiritual practice that has that sense of freedom. That's like, yes, there are people that offer the guidance that you're looking for, but it's not like Christianity or Judaism or Islam where there's this very strong initiation into a program that you have to abide to um, at all cost, right? And so what was really helpful for me coming out of um, a family that was kind of like Orthodox Christian and, and looking at a new modality of spiritual practice is the, the curiosity of what being spiritual means to me and, and seeing that the, the guidance from outside, so say if it's from another teacher or from other people, it are only suggestions and that the, the endeavor that I embark upon to discover something within myself that provides answers to questions um, kind of unveils this intimate nature with an intelligence that's within me and that has always been present, um, you know, from the day of my birth, right? And, and so there's this, like, level of softening around that authority, right? And so that we can see that the, the 
need for an external authority figure to tell us how spiritual we need to be or um, how moral we need to be or how ethical that we need to be um, has served its purpose to a certain point where an initiation is needed to allow us to embark on our own self-mastery. And, and that's really the angle that I take in explaining to people and, and why I stepped out of the kind of yoga studio world and into this place where I attract people synchronistically who come to me and they either read my book or they listen to my music or they found my podcast and they just ask me like, hey, what can you do for me? And the first thing I say is, all I can do is ask you questions and um, point towards the level of self-mastery that you already have within you and to know that we're all just doing the best that we can. And there's no point on making any kind of stark comparison of me and what I know and where I've been and what I've done and where you're at because I've been where you're at. And so the what I can do is have compassion for where you are in your journey and to know that as long as you do the due diligence in doing the best you can to maintain whatever practice you're adopting, that it is going to change and it is going to shift and it is going to be molded into a whole new expression. And that's really in alignment with the initiations that occur, right? Because when I look back at the type of yoga that I was doing at the beginning and what I do now, and I look back at the kind of levels and the depths of consciousness and meditation that I was at then and now, I see all the changes that have occurred. And that's where um, just being open and excited that you just don't know. And that was the biggest lesson for me coming out of 2021 and coming into this new year that I really embraced not knowing and just telling myself, like, I have no idea what's going to happen next. I have a good sense of what I'm doing and what I'm creating. So I do know that I'm going to put up an episode of the podcast once a week. I do know that I'm going to work on things and I'm going to make music. But how that is received and what I receive back, I, I don't know how that's going to happen. And I just remain open. And that, to me, I think is really special um, as, as a beginner to adopt right away. And I think that's the hardest thing right? Because when you're a beginner and you adopt a spiritual practice and you're just inundated with so much information and you just like, you, you get it and, and it clicks. And then suddenly there's this confidence of being a practitioner, right? That you're like, oh man, I know all this, all this stuff. I need to tell everybody now. And, um, to allow yourself to have that little surrender into like, well, and I really don't know because I'm human and I'm like a child in the eyes of a planet that's been around for billions of years. <laughs> it's humbling. It right? actually feels good to be supported as a child in that sense. Yeah. In a funny way, right? Like, so this is, this is sort of one of those adversarial or mindfully incongruent arrangements between our ego individuation and ourself, right? So uh, to, 
to utilize a quote by Aristotle, the more you know, the more you know you don't know, basically. Yeah. Um, the more you learn, the more you realize there is so much more to learn. And that self um, is this part of us that actually loves learning, that we really enjoy this process of not knowing. But then we have ego who looks at a space and sees all the things they don't know and gets uh, sort of offended or affronted by it and can't cope with the fact that it doesn't know. So a lot of us deal with this sort of, even in our own mind, this adversarial arrangement before we get into any new form of practice or learning something new where ego is like offended that it, it feels dumb, it feels insecure for not knowing things and is really unkind to us in our own mind about it, whereas self is like, no, we're here to learn. It's okay to not know. Just let yourself, as you said, be a child to this. Let yourself be supported by guidance. Let your vulnerability in a, in a new space where you are open and honest about, you know, wanting support and guidance from others, uh, that you're an open book to it is usually the way that resonates most with the people that are meant for you and that helps draw in the best and, uh, you know, sort of truest teachers for you that will be the most effective and that will help you build a practice that's organic instead of dictatorial. Um, but I really, I really loved what you said about, you know, being a child again. Uh, so many of us get to a point in our life where that sense of being a child is like, you know, not appropriate anymore, but a sense of childlike wonder of being in that emotional state is actually highly uh, healing to the mind, body, and spirit. It opens us up to this idea that we're allowed to be cradled by creation um, and that we don't have to be in control of everything, that we only can and should be in control of this, but in a way that's kind to us and that helps us evolve instead of limits us. Yeah, and um, that kind of touches on what we were talking about before we started recording is like, um, the sense of processing any um, fear around the spiritual work, right? And um, how kind of daunting the task becomes because of a growing responsibility around that spiritual work. Um, because there's inevitably this uh, subtle push that grows into a very noticeable push towards sharing the presence of what you've worked towards with others, right? And, and especially um, the sense that I get with individuals who have had some kind of trauma and sought out spiritual work as a last kind of ditch effort, right? And then they have this profound experience of healing if it's um, through certain meditations or it's through psychedelics or plant medicine. And, and then, you know, coming out of that and through the residual presence, suddenly starting to get this guidance like, hey, um, now you kind of have a responsibility of, of what you do with this. And there's a pretty important choice to make and how fear comes up and is that it's like a great initiator it's like are you going to be um at the whim of this fear and and 
you know, perpetually held down? Or can you look at this fear and see that it's coming up because you're actually ready to face it now? You're actually ready to take the presence from that healing experience and to embed it into the fear so that the fear can then dissipate and uncover the immense power that you have to step forward into this new path that's been laid out. And, um, yeah, so I wonder if, um, that's something that you've faced with the clients that you've had and how you've been able to help people kind of overcome that fear. So one of the main things that people fear is, uh, you know, other people's judgment is one of the first things that our ego fears. Our self really, like our truest core self really doesn't fear that that much. But the tool or perspective that I always give to people or the question that I always ask them is, if you're looking at it from a third party perspective and you uh, see a person just being their truest self, just you know, totally acting as their purest form and another human being judges that, which is the thing that actually requires work that should be uh, changed? The judgment or the pure self-expression? It's the judgment, right? So it's understanding that by being your truest self, by purely expressing self on a regular basis without that fear of judgment, you're actually creating a solution for the judger to do their work. Whereas if we exist in a state of fear of judgment that makes us mold ourselves as ego to fit that person's narrative, to be a persona that's more comfortable for them, we took on work that wasn't ours and created a problem for both of us. So a lot of what I work with in perspective two is how can you constantly make being your truest self the solution, which it is, it is always the solution instead of viewing it as a problem. So many people look at that scenario of like judgment, for example, and think that, okay, if I'm judged, I'm the problem. I have to change. Instead of looking at it from the perspective of, nope, I was my truest self. That makes me a solution always. This is abrasion, right? This is an abrasive force that I'm coming up against. And if I, let's like use a metaphor for that too, which is if you're the gem and this is, abrasiveness, which is required to polish a gem, you have to be intentional about how you interact with it. Mm. So you are going to look at the way you're putting yourself up against abrasive forces like judgment and being intentional about how you move against it and with it and form yourself through it instead of letting judgment change you because of your fear where it just sits on you and grinds you down right? No one's going to get a nice lustrous pearl or gem from that. They're going to get just a grounded down stump <laughs> yeah. or nothing, right? Eventually it just gets pulverized. So, you know, there's the other uh, mantra that I give folks, which is sort of the oldest one in the book is there's nothing to fear, but fear itself. And one of the things that fear is really good at is making us scared of talking about our fears. Now, why is that? It's because fear knows that the natural human instinct is to hear someone else's fears and compassionately respond to them in a way that dispels it. Mm -hmm. So the more you talk about your fears, the more vulnerable you get about them. Actually, the more you will dispel fear from yourself and the more strength you and courage you will gain from doing it. 
but most of us live in a world where we're uncomfortable talking about our fears because we think that that will make us not good enough. We think that someone, again, will judge us for having a fear or for being vulnerable when it's actually the quite opposite that's true. So I always invite people to kind of use meditation um, or visualization practices as a way to sort of engage with memories from a rational perspective that help you remember that as a truth. You know, ask yourself a question like, okay, when is a time that I've been vulnerable? And what's the, the rational real answer that came from it? Did it hurt me or did it make me better? When people actually look back through their life at those moments when they've allowed them, the answer is almost always that it's brought them something more positive or it's removed something from their life that wasn't serving them. Again, a solution, not a problem. But that that sort of rational, the, the engagement of the rational mind through memory with the spiritual subconscious mind is what helps us do that inner work in a way that's most effective and most like truly integrative into the total um, being that we are so that we can really heal it and move forward without constantly revisiting it or having it be uh, the theme that's re-emerging in, in our daily life, in our weekly life, our monthly, our yearly, um, you know, seeing those convergent points, the themes in our life and having that retrospect or that information to dispel the fears that made it a theme or a pattern for us and move forward. Yeah. And I think that touches on then that this idea of like, how to make your spiritual practice tangible and approachable, right? Where um, that to me is a very personal thing, right? Because I can have someone in all of their spiritual practice and how tangible and, and, um, and approachable it is to them, but then it might not work for me. Right. And, and that's this is, okay. Yeah. And, and so this is the approach that I had taken with the meditation that I developed in the book that I've written is to allow the process of going into your heart and from being in your heart that the innate intelligence within it is going to guide you and tell you the best way how anything could be healed uh, emotionally or psychologically. Um, because when I look at the exercises that I created, I recognize that these exercises came out of me. And I was like, these exercises are great for me. Um, and I, I still put them out in the book, but I iterated clearly that these are just guidelines of examples of what you can do. And, you know, you're more than welcome to try them out. And if they don't work, the fundamental process of going into your heart, that is generally going to work. And that just is a process that we can all utilize. That is just our basic function of focus, right? Of just what it takes for us to go inward and place our attention on our heart. And from that point, me as just an external individual, I don't have any say or control on what then happens internally for you because I'm not a part of that process. The only time I'm a part of the process is the step-by-step -step guidance of going into your heart. And you can utilize the um, exercise of the meditations that I've created. But what I know um, through just like the intuition of the heart 
is that each and every person that does this kind of meditation is for themselves going to find something that is going to work on um, just their heart themselves communicating, hey, there's this thing from your past that happened. Here's a good way to deal with it. And I, and I think that's the interesting thing with meditation is that we've been kind of um, convinced that um, it's as easy as opening up an app and doing this five minute like, oh, like you hear this like soft voice, like guide you through breathing. And then that's it really. Right. But that the um, the power of it is utilizing this organ that we have in us that is like literally the life giver. You know, I make this comparison that you can literally lose function of your brain, but you can still be alive. Right. You can seemingly just be completely in a vegetative state where no like you can't communicate at all, but your heart is still pumping and you're still it's still providing blood and oxygen. You'll still survive, whereas you have any kind of irreparable damage to your heart in any way, like it ends your life almost immediately. You can't live um, uh, from like getting shot in the heart or having a major heart attack unless like um, some kind of intervention happens. Right. Um, so there's this like innate power within it that shows us the um, like inherent ability to meditate in its space. And I think really communicating to people that how to make it tangible is really important. So like, what would you, um, tell like a client in, in, uh, in regards to like tangibility and, um, how to make it approachable for meditation specifically? Yeah. Or just like a spiritual practice, like in general. So, um, I use, you know, affirmations or mantras a lot. I also use breath work a lot, uh, and just, working through your like body as something that is instead of like, you know, to your point, the heart uh, out of the total mind or the total brain that is the body, the heart is actually supposed to be um, the, the point of origin for it as far as being the golden compass, That's right? That's exactly like, I what I call it to you. <laughs> um, so, you know, a lot of us are really mind led. And the mind is a great thing. There's nothing wrong with the mind, but that realistically our whole brain is made up of uh, gut instinct, then heart intuition, and then mind intellect. And that, the, that these are the two things that usually get in arguments with each other if this is the leader. Um, and, and sometimes this the instinct is not even heard. It's totally overridden or sometimes the instinct is so unheard and it has no rapport with up here really that it takes over, right? So this is like where reactivity comes from or that fight or flight response co comes from because at a certain point, your gut's gonna be like, I'm taking the wheel. This isn't doing a good job. It's not handling this well. I'm just gonna take the wheel and we're gonna do shit and uh, you know, so mode it be. Um, but that if this is active and present and that you're being a heart-led individual, which also helps connect you to the present, 
and feel worthy as you are. Like the heart is very aware that it's perfectly good as it is. It doesn't feel any requirement to change. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, biologically speaking, this is a pretty perfect system as is. <laughs> so getting heart centered is really important. Um, breath work is such a huge one. Like there are so many people that don't even realize how little they're really breathing on a daily basis. This needs to breathe. This needs oxygen to be able to think best. Um, and the better this thinks, the better these two think, and the better the whole system works together for you know a more whole intelligence. Um, one of the ones that I love is something called uh, heart-mind activation breathing, which is basically a meditative process that focuses on expanding and really getting deep within your breath but also induces uh, a visualization or what I sometimes refer to as scientific imagination, which is you get in your mind and while you're in your mind, as you're doing these breaths, you see or visualize sort of this circadian um, rhythm that's happening that converges like this energy that is passing from your heart through your mind, back down to your gut, up back through your heart again, up through your throat chakra, through your mind, back down, like it, that it's basically this flow, the system, but that the convergent point is, is here in the heart and that you can really clear it. But having a visualization to focus on, something that you utilize your imagination for very specifically going into meditation can be a really helpful way to start. Um, most people want to sit down and just go, okay, I'm going to try to not think now. Well, this until you've started meditation, this has probably been working overdrive 24 seven, most of your life. So the idea of going from 60 to zero like that is pretty dangerous. And it's also not going to make you feel like you're good at it. So one setting an intention of what you're going to focus on, um, from like a body perspective, from a connection perspective, before you go into it and two, having something like uh, a breath work with visualization that you can do that's simple but repetitive uh, can be very helpful also. Um, one of the things that I also work on people with is something called EFT or emotional release uh, tapping therapy. And part of the reason that can be very effective uh, in meditation as you get more like muscle memory with it is it just gives you something physical to do with your body to focus on to stay present instead of this, uh, you know, kind of wandering and reaching for stuff that it thinks it has to do while you're meditating. Um, but, you know, for most people, meditation is also something where like, I can sit right here right now and do a heart activation breathing. And that's meditation. Mm -hmm. I do not need to be in a yoga studio, studio sitting on a yoga mat, um, you know, sitting a certain way, dressed a certain way to be able to meditate. I, you know, most people don't think about it that way. You can do it in the shower. You can meditate in the shower. For some people, that's a great way to meditate because it's a very cleansing experience to be in a shower anyway. But you can also do it just laying in your bed. There's no right way to meditate as long as you're trying to approach it in a way that um, is helping you feel better. But really setting that intent and starting out with an understanding of, you know what? It's okay that I don't know how to have a clear mind right now. I'm going to learn how to use this intentionally for visualization. And then I'll be able to get to a point where I can control it to the sense that it, it doesn't have this eagerness to constantly be thinking or doing something. I'll be able to get to a state of just 
sleep mode with it or kind of silence mode, if you will, that's so healing for people. Yeah. And it like this all circles back to that. I don't know part. Right. Because I, I think we're just like we're so conditioned to um, have a task and to really know why we're doing that task and what's going to happen next. And the beautiful thing with meditation is that the effects um, or the like kind of phenomenal experiences sometimes are so unexpected that if you are putting up these filters of trying to direct and to know exactly the kind of effects that are going to come about from the meditation, say if it's, oh, I want to calm my mind or I want to like, um, I, I want to be less stressed and, and stuff like that, that when we put in that statement, I don't know what's going to happen and I'm open to experience something that may be profound and allowing yourself to surrender into that, uh, into that unknowing, even just allows you to accept if nothing happens, right? That you can sit for 10, 15 minutes. And this has happened to me plenty of times in, you know, the 15 years plus that I've been meditating. There's a lot of times where I just kind of sit there for 20 minutes and my mind has just been ranting off. And I just could say to myself, okay, well, um, today didn't really work out the best way and that's okay. And I just get up and I, and I go on. And then there's times where an hour and a half goes by and I'm in a very clear meditative state, right? And I'm having a total experience of what this meditative state is doing. And I come out of it and I'm like, wow, okay, that was a new level that I definitely reached. And I don't know if that's going to happen tomorrow. And then the next day, not even close, right? So there's definitely this neat kind of like wave that, that occurs. And sometimes the waves are really, really small and imperceivable. And sometimes the waves are huge and it takes you into this whole other realm of experience. And that's what I like to like focus on with um, some of the people that I teach or some of the people that I, I communicate this to is that the quieting the mind is the just the first step of the meditation and that the more you can address your growing ability to sit still and to be completely quiet and to adopt an observational state of mind that the power of that observational state of mind grows gradually over time and that you'll find that um, the processing of past emotions and anything stored within the nervous system comes up intuitively at your capacity right and i think this kind of plays into the fear thing too where people are just kind of innately afraid of dealing with something uh huge that happened in their past right that they've spent years trying to ignore it or let it go when in fact it's just being held in their nervous system and it's creating all these complications and to finally have a moment of clarity where you go, you know what, meditation is really going to help me. And here's, you know, uh, like a tangible and practical way that I can 
um, utilize this practice where as long as I don't put the pressure on myself to need to have some kind of outcome right away, that I can trust that eventually my nervous system will open up and I'll have the capacity within my being to deal with it because I prepared myself for it. And that to me has been the biggest thing is the, the daily or, you know, whenever you can, um, utilization of meditation is a preparation to that big moment that, um, the, all the synchronicities come into effect where, the, the more you meditate, the more you seek it out in community, the more that community gives you opportunity to go on retreats or do workshops. And then suddenly you're in a workshop workshop or you're in a retreat and all of that time spent leading to that moment is finally the synchronicity that unveils to you. Okay, you're ready to do this huge healing and you just happen to be in a place that's more conducive to it, right? Where um, the time spent at home is like the mundane, like maintenance of it, right. Is of that every day of like, I'm going to sit for 20 minutes and today nothing happened. And you know, and then two weeks Perfect. later, yeah. And nothing then, should happen. Yeah. And then two weeks <laughs> later, it's like, <laughs> yeah. And it's like two weeks later, I sat down for 10 minutes, but something happened in that nothingness that is actually quite a profound realization and it's like a blip too it's not like this whole drawn out thing it's like this phrase that comes up and you're like whoa i never thought of it that way right and then suddenly you go to that retreat and then just the people that you're around or the like the setting and the environment just cracks you open and then suddenly you know you have like uh, immense expressive crying and yep. processing and then that's the meditation too right it's not that like you sat in silence you went outer body it's like just doing the work in that environment suddenly um all this stuff comes up and the meditation is just releasing and processing and healing yeah you know it's funny that you bring up crying um crying is one of those things that people are so uncomfortable with um, you know, they think it's this sign of weakness in self-expression. And also there's this inherent belief that it must mean that I'm sad. Mm. Um, so that's something I always try to get people to think about too, because I have, I have had that meditative experience where I just started sobbing. And I asked myself, like, do I actually feel sad right now? No. So maybe like, just like you cry at the birth of a child, it's possible to cry. Like it sort of feels like your, your spirit crying because it's so happy that you're finally leaving this space open for it to be present in you. And it's like, oh, yes, finally. I, like, I'm so happy. I'm so joyous. You know, it's not just sadness that brings forth tears for us. So people making space for like that genuine emotive hour expression, uh, that emotional release, like what you're talking about as part of the meditative experience is so important too. Um, it's something that people are so incredibly uncomfortable with. And again, something that you can observe. Uh, I love that you brought up the observer effect. It's, you know, even in daily life, even in, in 3d, uh, context, the observer effect can be highly effective with how we engage with our emotions, but it's extremely effective in the meditative practice in the sense that instead of when an emotion comes up, 
assuming this is my this is my emotion, this is how I feel and what I am right now, observing it as a part of you, but not necessarily something that you have to attach to, that you can observe and learn from and build a rapport with, right? Like, so if anger comes up for you in the middle of meditation, instead of being like, oh, well, I'm angry, I can't meditate, observing your anger and going, let's talk anger. What do you have to say to me? What are you angry about? What, what have you been trying to protect me from or help me with that I haven't been letting you express yourself effectively on? Let's let's engage with within self. Let's build a rapport so that we can better understand each other. But you have to be willing to, like you said, get in that observer state of mind within your body, within your within your mind, within your meditative practices to really even have that option. Um, you know, most of our emotions are things that from the busy productivity bug world standpoint, just get in the way and make us less, less productive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the, you know, as we were talking about before we started the podcast, that they're sort of uh, seeing now, or they're starting to see now that, oops, well, the less space you make for those, the less productive people become because they don't know how to function anymore. They just get so exhausted, so depressed, so without hope, um, so without a sense of purpose that they disengage completely or have strong senses of anxiety or overwhelm that make it that much harder for them to actually be able to produce effectively in their, in their own life, whether it's through work or through meditative practices. Um, but that there's also this like kind of stone throwing effect where we, we think that every time we achieve something, right? Like, let's say it's the stone, <laughs> we pick it up and then we're like, okay, well, I liked how I felt when I achieved it. Now, what do I do with it? I achieved it. Okay, what do we do now? Do we do a thing with it? And then there's like a lack of awareness of what to do. So you throw the stone again. You go, let's look for a new achievement. That's what makes me feel good. That's what I need to feel good about myself and to feel worthy in life. Instead of every time you actually achieve something like really sitting with it and being grateful for it and using it as a reminder that you've always been worthy exactly as you are, and that all of these things that you achieve are just an evolutionary or learning process for spirit as you continue to, to grow and expand within yourself. Yeah, and I think um, that last part, right, like the growth and expansion, um, that I, th I think many people have a hard time with because of um, this like perception that the world is a hard place and that, um, it's just like everyone's around you to bring you down. And, you know, so it's like, it's inconceivable, um, or incomprehensible to consider growth and expansion when it's like every other day, something is coming up, right? It's like, Oh, I got another parking ticket. It's like, Oh, someone smashed my car window and I've got to replace that. Or, um, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm late on this payment or that. And, um, that's where I stress, like, this is where a spiritual practice comes hand in hand with, with dealing those things because, almost no matter what you're going to be thrown curveballs in something as just being a human being and the karma that we have that we need to fulfill in the um, spontaneous events that we have no control over and so the spiritual practice is this modality so that you can view those 
um, experiences in a new perspective so that you can learn how to um, not like avoid those things, but to evolve yourself and to advance yourself. And this is where the growth and the expansion is that you expand out of that way of living. Right. So then you find yourself in a year or two or five years. Suddenly you're like, wait, no one's broken into my car for a while. You know, I didn't lose my keys for a while. I didn't have this happen. You know, I don't have like un like weird vet bills. I don't like these like weird things aren't happening. And it's just because of how the meditation and the spiritual practice and um, that ritual has starting to organize our being and it's starting to organize our energies and it's starting to organize our mind in the way that we operate so that we're on top of things. So it's like, Hey, every other day I lose my keys. Why do I do that? It's like, Oh, because I don't have a single place that I put them. I always just kind of throw them around somewhere. And so, um, that opportunity to take on a meditation where one day you're just like, you know what? I'm just going to get a freaking hook and I'm going to hook my keys on that hook every day. And then suddenly you're not losing your keys anymore. And so this is like that practicality of the spiritual practice that, yeah, yeah you can look at it as like this profound ephemer ephemeral, like, um, experience of going out her body and exploring all these worlds, or it's like really mundane. And it's like, it's helped me, not lose my keys and then it's say, having having that practice as a ritual when you walk through your door that's still ritual yeah you know people don't brushing your teeth every day is a ritual realistically like from a technical perspective yeah people have this concept that ritual must be this like religiosity thing yeah it's like i need to put on my cloak and like have my dagger and my podium and it's like yeah that's great if you want to conjure up some shit. Um, but when you just like sit down and meditate and like calm yourself and have a clear mind, suddenly that clear mind, your heart or your intelligence is going to come up and be like, get a freaking hook for your keys. Okay. And it's just like, okay, I'm going to do that. Today. <laughs> so, so here's another funny one for you. Um, one of the things that I really work with people on too is uh, conscious responsibility, which is, you know, to base it in a Spider-Man quote, um, with great power comes great responsibility, right? But with great responsibility also comes great power. Mm -hmm. So the more we can take responsibility for the things that come into our life and, and sort of ask ourselves, where did this start in here that projected it out here? How can I take responsibility for it? For your, your example with the keys. Okay, instead of being like, yet another day where my keys got lost, damn, the world's against me. It's like, no gonna get a good we're gonna take responsibility we're gonna get a hook and we're gonna make a ritual where every time we walk in the door we put the keys on the hook mm -hmm. yeah spiritual spiritual solution <laughs> it's as simple as that so i think people need to get more comfortable with it but another funny tool that i'll give you um, from an affirmation standpoint is okay let's say you do lose your keys a lot of people get frantic or anxious about it. Oh God, how am I going to find them? It's going to take me forever. Now I'm not going to get, a, you know, all the things that are really not the desired result anyway. Instead, pause. Okay. How can I use my intuitive process that is so engaged with everything that I do to help me find my keys? And, you know, for me, I used to be someone that put my phone down in funny places all the time and I would freak out. And now I'm at a place where I go, okay, I know that my subconscious 
knows where it is because it's been processing every single thing that I did today. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to affirm I trust in the power of my subconscious mind to help me locate my keys and sit there with it for a minute. See where it draws you to, where it resonates to you. Know this is a powerful thing. The things that we use our imagination for to show within our mind are the things that we attract to ourselves. And so even getting intentional about like, I'm going to, I'm going to visualize my keys and ask my intuitive process, my subconscious mind to please deliver the information to me that draws me to them um, has been highly effective for me. Actually, I, nine times out of 10, I find my phone or my keys very quickly, actually, but it's letting go of that fear that causes the anxiety of, oh crap, where are my keys? Now this is going to happen. Now that's going to happen because of, you know, me being late and blah, 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 all the things you don't want. Instead, breathe, pause, make a ritual of it, connect with your inner self, this powerful thing that our subconscious mind, our heart, our intuition is, and ask it for guidance. And mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, which is a pretty good statistic, uh, you know, you'll get what you want. And it might not be right away, but it's also a process too of, pausing in those moments and instead of letting it run down the track of all the stuff that's going to go wrong, asking yourself, I know that everything happens for a reason. How can I assign a value to this that is constructive for me? Why did this happen? Right? So again, to your effect, well, it happened because I never intentionally put my keys down somewhere. So I can accept this truth about myself and now I can evolve from it because I've accepted it instead of the ego that like, Nope, I do nothing wrong. Um, it's definitely someone else's fault. Now we're screwed for the day. Stupid keys, right? Like we even do this thing where our ego gets so easily offended that it will personify inanimate objects uh, into, for them to be responsible for the problem instead of us being able to take the conscious responsibility for it. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, and that's... Um, and, and that's responsibility so even something as simple like that um and utilizing meditation and spiritual practice to address um just like a, a mundane pattern is i think this is where it goes into that like growth and expansion because once you start to dial in little things um like losing your wallet or losing your keys or um like even locking your keys in your car or you know these like little things that seem to perpetuate more and more that once you dial in the that state like that uh, responsibility of dealing with these things is that that is where the initiation for the growth and the expansion occurs because then that intuitive guidance will start to show you more important things, right? So like bigger things, it'll be like life purpose things, right? So maybe the next one is like, okay, really take care of your taxes. Who cares about government, blah, 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 government stuff, evil, this capitalism, whatever, just take care of your taxes. And then the next level is like, okay, now start like really thinking about what you're doing in your work and your business. And it's just so amazing how it starts to compound more and more into other layers of your life. And then that's where I feel it draws you deeper into your meditation because then you start to contemplate bigger things. And then the, like, the need for the little things are taken care of. And now you have room within yourself to deal with the bigger things because you don't have these little minor inconveniences always popping up, right? 
Um, at least that's, that's kind of how it's worked with me and how I've seen myself kind of like level up over the last kind of couple of years and the opportunities that come out of it, right? Like all of a sudden a new community of podcasters that I meet and, you know, meeting someone like you and, you know, all of a sudden, um, I can, I can see clearly the level of responsibility that's needed for then the next level. It's like, okay, if I'm really wanting to reach out there and have a bigger audience and network more then I, I really have to take care of the groundwork of what it means to put out regular episodes and um, what it means to show up as um, as a participant in the community right yeah I love that so uh, conscious responsibility is something that can even be utilized like within belief systems so asking yourself before you go into a meditative uh, practice, what belief systems are limiting me? I trust in the power of my subconscious mind to show me these answers, right? Will help you kind of bring forth some of the beliefs that are shaping your reality in a way that is either limiting you or harming you. So to your example earlier, the mind that goes about its day thinking that everything's happening to it instead of for it, doesn't exist in the best form of reality because its belief system is telling it that the world is against it. And so it is because that's the way, that's the perspective, that's the lens that the belief system that you're constantly looking at the world through. So belief systems basically are the lens that covers our, our vision of the truest reality of what um, you know we're existing in as it is. And so the, you know, one of the ones that I work with too, I work a lot with clients who are kind of deconstructing from um, religious trauma, actually, and assigning an understanding to them to take conscious responsibility for the belief systems that they have that have been shaping them and their reality in a way that is really not the desired result. So uh, for example, a lot of people who come from Orthodox Christianity have been given this belief system that they've consumed and subconsciously integrated that the only reason you exist on earth is to suffer, that this is a punishment. Well, if you have that belief system, guess what reality is gonna give you? Guess what you're gonna perceive from reality? So you have to be willing to take conscious responsibility even for existing belief systems and ask yourself, one, is this giving me the de desired result from the co-creative process? If it's not, how can I change it? What do I really want? Um, what is it making me think about the world and humanity, right? Like that kind of question you brought up earlier about how people sort of have these apocalyptic world ending belief systems or sense of hopelessness. Well, gotta take responsibility for it. If that's a belief you have, but it's not actually what you want from the co-creative process in the world, you gotta be willing to change that. But meditation is this great space to ask those questions and allow the intuitive process to kind of bring them to you in a way that you can absorb the information and be vulnerable to it and then actually make the change. Like you, you have to be willing to trust that everything that comes to you through the meditative process is also intended for your benefit too. So again, if you go into meditation, you have the mindset or belief system that the world is against you. Well, you're gonna get a lot of thoughts in here that reflect that also. Um, so taking the time to even change a belief system before you go into meditation or using meditation as a way to observe 
the thoughts that your belief system brings you, uh, aligns you with is a really good practice too. If you sit down and you're meditating and every thought that comes into your mind is about something bad that's going to happen. Okay. What belief system do I have? What truth have I, what have I accepted as a truth for me and my reality that is making me aligned with this sort of information to my receiver, the brain, right? Like, cause this is realistically a receiver. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I always tell people too, actually, as far as meditation goes is our ego and the productivity mindset thinks that every thought that happens in here is ours, right? Like we immediately are like, it's happening in here. It must be mine. Instead of understanding that this is a, re this is a receiver and a projector, right? Like when we imagine things, when we work with things in our mind, we also project them but that realistically it's a receiver. And that if you have a thought coming in that is not a desired result, that does not make you feel good, you have a choice to decide whether it's actually your thought. You can choose to say something like, I observe and release this thought mm -hmm. or thank you, but no, thank you. This thought is not for me. This is one of the ways that you can kind of start like changing your frequency in meditation too, to get you to a place that's more enjoyable so that everything that's happening up here doesn't um feel like something that's attacking you right like most people get in here and the first time they sit down and do it it feels like they're being attacked by their thoughts instead of this being the safe place the sanctuary that it's supposed to be for all of us yeah and um i think this kind of goes into a couple of the last points that we uh were kind of discussing before um is like the okayness of neutrality right that like you know and, and i totally agree with that kind of like fundamental kind of function of the brain as a receiver um and a projector and and i think the way that i i um wrote about it in my book is the difference between thoughts and thinking right that um there's it happens so quickly that we don't know how to differentiate between the two so we just kind of lump everything into thinking where there is when you allow yourself to take on the practice of a meditation that you gain the ability of slowing things down and and so that comes from the effect of calming yourself and stilling yourself right that your nervous system literally calms down your circulation calms down your heart calms down your brain then calms down and so the process of thinking and thoughts is that you start to see when it is you think inside your brain and when it is you receive thoughts and ideas and it's a huge aha moment for many of us because then we can see how the the combination of powerful breath work and meditation shields us from incoming thoughts all the time because they can be really intrusive and they can be quite abusive as well we can be receiving things and our brain interprets it in a certain way where suddenly we're seeing images and we're having thoughts that are almost like foreign to us, but we think they're ours. And we suddenly have this like bias of, towards ourselves that we're like a terrible person for having these thoughts when really it could be that there's so much happening around us that we're like, I literally could be receiving thought processes from other people. And it's weird to think that way because we hold such a, like a sanctimonious 
view of uh, inside of our brain that it's like no one has access to it, right? But then when we open ourselves up to the possibility that we are actually receiving so much from the totality of humanity just through our, our collective conscious that understanding how to achieve a neutral state is really going to allow us to have the equanimity within us so that in that neutral state is seated like uh, bliss and joy and happiness. And so that that becomes our safe haven that we train ourselves more so to go into that neutrality. So then a shield is sort of created and that from that in that space is this new blossoming and growing beautiful plant of bliss and joy. And then that is our exuding presence. And, and I think this is the effect that a lot of um, like truly ascended and enlightened masters have is that they walk into a room and you just, you just feel it. You all of a sudden feel that what you are receiving from this presence is that joy and bliss. And suddenly you're receiving these thoughts that are just amazing. It's like you just hear immediately inside your mind these amazing affirma affirmations and these mantras of just beauty and peace. And um, you can clearly associate it with this person that's not doing it from this like showboating, oh, look at my presence, I'm so enlightened. It's just so wholehearted that it's just that person is just immediately giving so much love in their presence that it's affecting you in this positive way. And even though it's a positive way, it's, it's inspiring that neutrality of how to come into yourself into that neutral point and to express a presence that is going to encourage upliftment and love and joy. I completely agree. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up the neutrality thing because it's something that I talk about with people a lot. Most people have no sense of awareness around what just being, what feeling neutral is for them. They don't really think about it. And so there are two modes of being that we accept, which again, goes back into this belief system thing that if you're not feeling good, right? Or like really up and joyous and excited and full of energy and blah, 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 all the things that productivity mindset tells us we have to be to be feeling good. If you're not feeling like that, most of us just then go, okay, well, I'm not feeling good. So I must be feeling bad. Mm -hmm. And we, even if we are in a state of neutral, so if we haven't assigned a value or awareness of it, we immediately pull ourselves away from it because we're like, well, I don't feel like ecstatic or, you know, excited or, you know, all of these other things that are really um, such a part of our, our culture at this point of like how we're supposed to be, to be having a good experience or a fun experience that if we don't find that neutral, we're only, then we're like in the state of mind, where we're like, oh, well, I must be feeling bad. What am I feeling bad about? Well, that's not really the right question to be asking yourself. That takes you in all the wrong directions in your mind. So I also equate neutrality with compassion. Um, I think compassion, unconditional love, uh, observance, um, you know, as self are a total state of neutrality, right? Like you walk into a room and the reason it emanates so beautifully is one, it neutralizes or dissipates a lot of the like energy that's all over the place that feels not good to people. Um, but also it, that person walks into the room and because they accept self as is and love it and conditionally have compassion for it, have a, a neutral sense of awareness that no matter what they do, as long as the intention is 
is kind and loving and compassionate that they can do no wrong. Um, that projective force is so powerful because all of a sudden you're in front of this person who, because they're so self-accepting, so self-loving, self-compassionate, they view you that way too. And they become this really beautiful mirror for you to look into instead of one that's giving you back sorts of information about all the things you have to change about yourself, all the ways you uh, need to be, to be unjudged by the situations, all the persona you're going to have to uh, exist in to make yourself the best you for the room that you're in. Um, it's a beautiful feeling to be around. Like the second you have that sort of self-love for yourself, that sort of self-compassion, which meditation and yoga work and breath work are all wonderful for, you become that projective force for other people and really help neutralize those uh, sort of, I won't even use the word chaotic because chaos is a perfectly good energy that we can create with, but those sort of really uncomfortable, destructive, unbeneficial thoughts that um, run the gamut. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say about thoughts is, again, the ego thinks it has to do something about them. So let's say you have a not so great thought come into your mind, like you're sitting at work and you have a not so great thought come into your mind about the way that a meeting you're going to have later is going to go. Well, most of the time we then use our imagination to like play that out even though realistically we know this isn't a desired result from that meeting. We don't want it to feel that way. We don't want to create that reality for ourselves. So having that moment to have that neutral state of awareness where you can observe it and go, wait, this isn't what I want. Okay, what does that mean I do want from this meeting? I'm going to intentionally think about that instead and replace it. Um, is Even that is technically a state of meditation that you can learn to interject in your daily life in a way that helps shape a reality that you actually want instead of thinking that okay if a negative thought comes into my mind i'm going to play it out i'm going to hero my way through this thought instead of well maybe i don't need to be a hero because then that means i have to have an adversary i'd like to just have a meeting that goes really well so i'm going to think about and see that um and i use that as an example because i did that to myself you know you you only know what you know when you know it, and then you do better. But I used to do that to myself all the time when I worked um, in a in a nine to five like sort of corporate entity position. Is I would have a meeting later, and my mind would run wild with all of the things that could go wrong with it. And guess what I got from the meeting? So having an understanding of how powerful this is too is such a, a such a cool part of finding that neutral, because the more neutral you can be, the more observant and compassionate you can be to yourself and to others, the easier it gets to engage with your imagination in a way that is really beneficial to you instead of letting it like run the train, run the train track that uh, goes nowhere that you want it to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really beautiful. And it's, it speaks to just everyday living, right? Because, um, I think um, in just in my experience of being within like a kind of conscious community within the city that I'm in and then just like the kind of like world of spirituality is um, there's this like glamour of being spiritual where it means like living in a tropical paradise and wearing all these like flowing clothes and being around just like super heightened spiritual people. But to me, like, that's just so isolating and, and really elitist when 
the like the gift of spirituality is for all of humanity and in whoever and wherever you are right to someone working in an office to a plumber to an electrician to a politician to it doesn't matter right and the the state of the world and the um the influences that try to make um this planet unbearable is is something as just like a normal everyday person is kind of out of our control and so the best thing that we can do as someone that is informed about some kind of spirituality is to adopt a practice that allows our life to become as joyous and happy as possible and that's why like i like to tell people like no don't quit your job right away just because you found this it's like allow it to be a gradual process where you shift into a role that is more purposeful and and um that that can mean that your acceptance of where you are in your mundane life is a part of that initiation right like so for me, people on the outside can look at what I do and, and look at um, all the modalities that I do and they can be like, wow, you live this like perfect spiritual life. It's like, well, sure, if it like looks like that to you, but I also have a muggle nine to five job, right? And I'm, I know that's just the role that I'm playing right now and some karma that I'm fulfilling just personally in my life. And I know the process of getting into deeper or into the role of a, of a spiritual practitioner deeper and deeper is more of a lengthy process for me personally. And I've accepted that because I've tried to rush into it and I've tried to drop everything. And to me, just in my own kind of dharma, that just doesn't work, right? So I like to advise and kind of give guidance that like if you have the opportunity to shift into um, this like new endeavor and it's not going to create a negative ripple around if like your family your friends or anything um, then totally do it but if you find that you're in a position where you can't just quit your job because then you're not going to have your like basic needs met right you're going to put yourself into uh, a really challenging situation especially if you don't have the foundation built up yet where you have clientele and stuff like that where if um if it makes sense to kind of ride out that position and to build it up so that you can go okay i can comfortably leave this and now i can fully adopt this um great and then there are the people of course that are like i really don't want to be in my job and i just need to leave it and i need to wholeheartedly jump into this thing and i don't know what's going to happen and they just get through that turmoil right so that's the beautiful thing about this whole process is like there's so many ways around doing it and it's it's uh, amazing to navigate it personally so you can see where it is that you fit right yes exactly and and so to that effect um i am actually someone that does like i do individual session but i also do wellness consultation for business and corporations because to me, there's actually no reason that we shouldn't be integrating spirituality into business. Nice. It's a part of daily life for people. And so having businesses and corporations that are heart-led, that have an awareness of how to utilize their whole brain as an organism or entity, because the truth is that businesses are organisms or entities, just like we are. They're a living, breathing system, just like people are. They're just not in a tangible human form, but they think and act and interact with the world in the same way we do. They're purpose-driven. 
for the most part. Um, that's a large part of you know why I work with businesses. But that if you that's the other thing I would say is if you're working in a nine to five job and you are wanting to integrate more spirituality into your daily life, there is no reason that you can't become a projective force in that space that creates space for others to have more spirituality present in the workforce. You know, ritual is something that's actually highly effective in work environments too. It gives us uh, a sense of community. It gives us a sense of connection and purpose. Um, it helps us feel like we're here for a reason, uh, you know, in the job too. And so I think it's important for people to not necessarily run away from those spaces because they're the spaces that need the most interjection of it, return to it. Um, you know, I, for me, there's absolutely no reason that the intuitive process shouldn't hold uh, a, a safe place in meetings. Um, so I actually teach business leaders how to ask questions in meetings that allow space for it. You know, at the end of the meeting, instead of saying, this is what we're going to do next, or what are the ideas that you have, asking a question very intentionally, like, does anyone have an intuitive idea about the best way to go about this project? Or does anyone have a gut instinct about uh, the best way to approach this client? I really want to open the rapport and, and get people to share about those things. But most of the time in corporate settings, that's not the way that we're given, right? Like, that's why everyone wants to run from the nine to five, because they're living in that space that tells them exactly when to do and when to do it, which they've been super comfortable with up until this point. And now that they're a more spiritual and, and centered within self person, that doesn't feel comfortable anymore. But the thing I would say is don't run from it, lean into it and help that space grow and change and evolve. You know, I, I have a strong belief that we experience parts of life, uh, you know, maybe broken systems or systems that need to evolve because we're the ones who are intended to help evolve and change it. And so if you experience that system and realize how much it's not working and you run and everyone runs away from it, it's never going to evolve or change. You got to be willing to engage with it. So if that means doing something that you think would be embarrassing, like before a meeting, sitting there and doing your heart activation breath to the point that someone in the room goes, what are you doing? Well, guess what? This is an opportunity for you to share about a spiritual practice that actually will really help in a meeting, right? Mm -hmm. Like if everyone sat in a meeting, even in a corporate environment and did HAB together for one to two minutes and really got like syncopated with each other and really opened their heart centers to their mind and, the, and their instinct and their body, what a more effective and efficient meeting that would be than if you just walk into it thinking that you're here to be told what's going to happen and, and how to take out, you know, take your commands and, and fulfill orders, basically. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's, yeah, that's really incredible. And that's... stay in those spaces, people don't run from them. You're there to change them. They're, they will mold around you, not the other way around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that was, that's, that was my perspective as well as, um, as a spiritual practitioner being in the workforce that I am is that I then act as a kind of beacon, um, for the people around me, even if it's, um, conscious or not, like, even if it's just me and my presence being there and the work that I do and, um, just sharing that presence um, openly with people where it's not about me trying to convince people of something spiritual or having these conversations. It's just literally 
m- me being in my practice because there's plenty of times where I'm at work and I'm chanting mantras and I'm like doing um, just like subtle breath work and and where then there are some people where we're having this open dialogue and that then your purpose as a spiritual practitioner um, becomes really clear in the workplace that you're in. And so then you can utilize that as an opportunity to share that presence um, in a way that no one else is doing, right? Out of like one out of 20, you know, you're the one person that in that whole office where you look around, you're like, wow, I'm literally the only person that does like a spiritual practice like this. So I have now my own obligation to be that kind of a representative for this. And that to me is where the kind of like growth and, and, um, and expansion then occurs for not only yourself, but the people around. Right. Yeah. So that, that sense of isolation of being the only one is again, one of those things from a language perspective that many of us go, I'm the odd man out, I'm the problem, right? But realistically, if we look at the situation from an observer effect, from a rational uh, engagement, you're the solution, right? You're the solution to the environment that is not working for almost anyone. So I hope that people will sort of engage with that sense of self too through their spiritual practices and journey that if you're having that sort of spiritual expression in the workforce or in the workplace, that by just being you, by just being your spiritually centered self, you are becoming a potential solution instead of that like uh, falling into the odd man out syndrome of, well, because I'm not like everyone else, I'm just causing problems or I must be the problem. Mm. Um, I think I think that's awesome that, you know, and again, it's not to foie gras spirituality down anyone's throat. It's literally just to stay in that space and ask for spirituality for yourself in the space to be allowed and then seeing who resonates or connects with it, who gets drawn to it and who wants to learn from it. Because most people will watch you do something like that and have a moment where they're like, I want to know what that's about. Mm -hmm. And they open their mind to, it actually opens their mind to the idea that, oh, well, maybe this isn't the way that meetings have to go. Maybe this isn't the way I have to approach how I talk with my coworkers or with higher ups. Maybe I can actually make space for this in my daily life too, because this seems to be working well, right? Like just be the change you want to see the world in the world, basically. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to um, wrap up this conversation. It's been just amazing talking with you. Um, you know, you're a wealth of, of knowledge and I really appreciate how clear and articulate you are. And, um, you. you know, you like, you really, I, I just, I had this thought many times throughout that, um, you know, whenever, uh, like when we were talking about neuro-linguistic programming and affirmations is that like you clearly speak in affirmation. Like I would see it, like I would hear it and I'd be like, wow, like that whole like three sentences was just like one big affirmation. Yes. So yeah, that just, that points to how this all works, right? That like you can literally program yourself into this. And so that your normal day-to-day speaking is like literally affirmations. Um, and that's, that's really powerful. So thank you for, 
um, you know, bringing your, your knowledge about the work that you do and um, uh, making this whole thing um, actually really practical and approachable um, because I know that spirituality can be quite a touching subject and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to swallow because there's so much out there, right? So, um, yeah, if you can give the listeners um, where they can find you, um, website, social media, any, like, events or projects that you have coming up. Yeah, um, thank you very much for the opportunity. It was an amazing conversation. I really love getting to get in these spaces and talk with people that are wanting to help you know, change the world and help people find their true self inside, (laughs) not out here. Um, But the place that you can find me is moonandrune.com. I'm also on social media on Instagram at moonandrunewellness. And you can also follow my personal account that I just, you know, I share mostly across both, but there are a few things that I share on just one or the other. Um, And my personal one is at nemofon. And so one of the things I have coming up actually is a uh, six hour or like, uh, you know, day workshop in March that hits on a lot of these uh, topics. And so if you're someone who doesn't feel like you have an interest in doing the one on one, you know, kind of weekly or biweekly uh, style session work, and you'd rather have more of a boot camp. <laughs> um, that's I have that coming up in March. Uh, it's on the 19th, I believe, but that is on my website as well under live online courses. And we'll cover the, a lot of the stuff we covered today in it, but it'll kind of range the gamut. Most of it is really about uh, learning how to build a, a better language with yourself and, and with the world around you, and also how to um, engage with you know, things that are more intuitive for self, learning how to actually lean into your intuition instead of fearing that it's uh, you know, not going to give you the answers you need. But thank you so much uh, for sharing me with your audience and and for giving me a chance to speak on these things. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're very welcome. And I look forward to having you on again and going deeper into all this stuff for sure. So thank you everyone for watching. Have a wonderful rest of your day and enjoy. Thank you.